Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Weird Things podcast, which I believe is uh, the first one we've done in quite a while. We apologize to our listeners for the erratic schedule, but hey, that's why it's Weird Things. We just want to make it more weird for you. Isn't it weird? Oh my God, everybody's so weirded out by us right now. Those weird (laughs) voices you hear is Mr. Brian Brushwood. Hello. Mr. Justin Robert Young. Hi, gang. And we're here to discuss... Some things that may be a little bit uncomfortable, maybe borderline offensive, Sweet. definitely on the fringe. We've uh, already caused a little bit of, uh, I want to say the word strife, Brian, but uh, perhaps <laughs> some uh, some discussion at the Brushwood household. I'm just waiting until you ask me which of my children I'll... I, I, I don't even know what's left for you to ask me, to be honest. <laughs> that, that, that's my favorite part about the psychological damage that Andrew has inflicted on Brian, is that now, like, whenever you even talk about it, you're forced to come up with some other horrific scenario that Andrew hasn't even thought of yet. Well, that's funny, like, because it, I immediately <laughs> thought, which of my children I'd kill first? I was like, no, did that one. Wow. Which of my children I'd <laughs> eat first? No, did that one. And I'm like, come on! Plum deeper! Deeper, Brian, still! <laughs> Well, well, Brian, that just brings to mind sort of a question then, since you're bringing that up. Um, this sort of relates to one something we're going to get into, one of the questions I want to ask you. But uh, um, should, I, should I just say it or should I just, you know, in the form of a story? Story, story right. time. So, Brian. Yes. Fourth of July. Okay. You're taking your lovely children out to play with fireworks. Always with the children. Yes. Bonnie, Bonnie's <laughs> off visiting relatives and... Before you take them off, Bonnie warned you, you know, sparklers and oh, black snakes <laughs> only and, you know, no no big fireworks, no big fireworks, right? So you're driving out to wherever you go to, Texas, anywhere, I guess, your front yard, wherever, you know. You're, <laughs> yeah, you're, 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 you mean to, to the fireworks depot? Yeah, that's okay. on my street. Right, so you go there and, and uh, well, uh, you're, uh, one of your daughters, uh, give us a name. You wouldn't have to use real names here. Uh, Hermione. Hermione, okay, Hermione and Latoya, okay, Hermione, <laughs> Hermione sees the fireworks depot. She's like, Daddy, can we go in there? I'm like, Mom said sparklers only. Right. She's like, oh, but Daddy, please. I'm like, all right, you want to make your daughter happy because you've been on the road. And whenever you come back on the road, you know, the wife, first thing she does is she sniffs your clothes. Your daughters look <laughs> at you, you know, like, where have you been? Do you have another family? And you feel like guilt. <laughs> you go into the fireworks depot. And then she sees like the biggest, largest, massive incendiary explosive that may have just actually been something that was supposed to be crated and put onto an aircraft going off to Iraq, but somehow got diverted to the fireworks depot in your town. It was meant okay, for blasting, could, mining. Oh, it's it's meant for taking out entire Al Qaeda villages or something. Okay, <laughs> but it's there. She's daddy. Can A we daisy get it? Cutter. Can we get it, daddy? It depends. And you're like, is it called the Black Snake? Because then I think technically I'm not in trouble. Well, let's just say you buy it, okay? Okay, and let's say that, you know, perhaps some poorly translated signage on the sign of it implies that maybe you could buy this. So you buy this for your daughter, okay? All right, and so you go off to, you know, your field or wherever, Texas, you're going to go blow the stuff up. And she's like, Daddy, can I light it? Can I light it? What do you say? Well, I mean, who am I to, I mean, you know, surely I'm taking responsible safety precautions, right? Of course. She lights it. Unfortunately, it's a fast fuse. It blows up. Your child, what's left of your child, is gone. <laughs> okay, wait. I hold hate, on, hold I on, hate hold you on, so hold much, on. Andrew. Before, May. Even, before even Brian reacts, 
this is not even so much one of the paranormal, weird, science fiction scenarios we normally lay out. This is just, you know, domestic horror. We haven't got there yet, guys. <laughs> I'm setting the stage. Jeez. All right. Okay. 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 Do we just rush right so, into the premise? So, Brian, you get drunk and you leave the loaded gun beside your dresser. <laughs> Again. Okay, that could work, too. Okay. All right, so okay. something horrific ha- happens to Hermione. Something horrific has happened, okay? <laughs> yeah. Horrific Jesus. has happened, okay? And you're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, what do I do? But you look, and you see two figures in white coats running towards you. And apparently there's some sort of facility, this empty lot that you went there to go blow your fireworks off in true Texas style and leave your mattress and your old furniture. Right. You know, that kind of that grungy out there in the middle of nowhere thing. It's near some facilities. Two guys come running out in white lab coats. They're like, man, we can help you out. You? <laughs> and I mean, what's funny is I picture them walking up like I'm working on my on my four by four truck. They're like, eh, so you got a problem there? <laughs> oh, yeah. no, you're what like, you're your, a, what with your kid's face all blown up? In Defoe platoon fashion, you're on your knees, your hands holding onto the gore. I mean, you're just in oh shock. You're in shock. Okay, I mean, it's, <laughs> runny, it's your runny Hermione. Oh, it's your fault. You're, it's entirely your fault because your wife. told Told you, your wife told you, you know, <laughs> and you did like, what did you do? Like, you're trying to, oh my God, you know, not even worried about the child. You're just, how do I explain this to Bonnie? Okay. <laughs> oh how do I explain this to Bonnie? You know, you're like, can I say she got out of the house? <laughs> you know, you're just running it. I'm treating her like she's a dog. Well, sweetheart, <laughs> you know, we tried to fence in Hermione. Well, she dug a hole and I'm afraid yeah. she ran out so and the got her hands like on some fireworks. And, and by the way, Brian, who are you that your first thought is to all automatically push all the blame on your horrendously and permanently disfigured child? <laughs> apparently, apparently, I'm a dad in a sitcom is what it is. Like this is <laughs> what happens. So they come running up to you, like we can gra- we can help you. They grab you, they drag you into the facility. One of them's got a shovel and starts scooping up samples and stuff. <laughs> oh okay, my God, the gore. Just so evil. They- Bring you into a room and there's like this high tech. I mean, it's like the Apple Store times a thousand with liquids, like the whole Bacta tank from Star Wars and all that. Sounds in the background that are all like they're like. They're like, listen, this is what we can do. We can take this tissue and we can clone a new Hermione for you. We've got enough stuff from the brain to copy the brain and copy this over and make an exact copy. And you're like, how long will it take you? And they're like. 22 hours, and you're like, okay, Bonnie gets back in 23. So this so. is the, uh, this is the, uh, I believe, I believe classic philosophers have called this the Venture Brothers paradox. Uh, I, I, I do not know what you speak of. Oh, did you guys, neither of you watched the Venture Brothers? On- I watched one episode. It was very funny. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't. It, it was very funny. They, they ended the first season, spoiler alert, they ended the first season yeah. with the two boys getting gunned down, and that's just how the season ended. And there was a big question of how they were going to pick it up next episode. And they started off the second season, like without the Venture Brothers in the intro at all, making it look like it was all about the remaining characters. And then by the end of the first episode, you realize that not only did he reclone the boys, but this is like the 25th or 26th time they're just death death prone kids. Oh, like Kenny from South Park. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. So they got a new Hermione. She's like, hi, Daddy, what did I miss? Are we going to go blow up the firework? <laughs> okay. She comes out of the vat. She gives you a hug. Where are we? Do you tell her? Uh, you tell what, Bonnie? Well, hell's no. Hell's no. <laughs> if I'm going to damn myself, 
I mean, I, at that point, I'm damned. I'm I'm a condemned man, and and whatever happens, either I'm I'm damned to eternal fire, or I'm damned to the rest of my life with holding this dark secret that will eat me from the inside out. Ten years later, I'm a raging alcoholic, and I've ruined everything that ever meant anything to me. But I never ever tell anyone ever. Uh, sorry, Brian. I got a little spoiler alert there because. Uh-oh. The chances of this not ending like Pet Cemetery are zero. Oh. This is for real. There's no way that she doesn't just start murdering people because there's some wire loose in the uh, in, in in the brain copy over. Well, no, no, Andrew didn't say that, so I'm sure that no, means I'm saying fine. that. Oh. I'm saying that there's a ghost in the machine, and you're harboring a homicidal maniac as a clone daughter. I'm just, I'm gonna I'm gonna go give you a little twist here, Justin. All right, I'm gonna all say right. the daughter turns out fine, but I'm gonna go with Brian's alcoholic, insane scenario. It's a secret <laughs> he can't tell, and so he brings Hermione to home. And how many kids do you have? Two. We'll assume Hermione. the other one was in the car, locked in the car, and saw nothing, didn't know. You know. Good. Okay. Taking so the other a one, nap, a fortuitous okay. nap for okay, Latoya. Latoya doesn't know. So you bring Hermione to home. Bonnie comes home like, "Hey, what's going on?" She's like, "How was the Fourth of July?" You're like, "Ah, right." You're like, <laughs> what happened? Like, that? Where's your scar, Hermione? <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah, where, where? How come you're not wearing the nice Abercrombie shirt I got you, Brian? And you're like, oh, the thing covered in blood in the in the dumpster. <laughs> um, so things are fine for a couple days, but you start you just worried that she's gonna know find out that they're going to stumble onto what's going to happen the right? telltale hermione okay okay a week later you get a knock on the door a couple police officers there like uh mr brushwood we have a few questions for you like yeah like, um you were spotted leaving a field july 4th yeah we found copious amounts of blood <laughs> in the field y'all say officers the- i'm not gonna lie in the remains day, of a child. <laughs> that day, Hermione became a woman. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh, yeah. Inappropriate. Brian, please. Yeah. Must you make all entertainers sound out to be like, you know, carny folk? Please. I'm sorry, sir. Go ahead. So, uh, I'm, I don't know. That could be a complication there. But you're just, the, the moral of the story here is that you would say absolutely not tell anybody. Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, you're presupposing that because uh, understand you close doors. The moment you decide to go with this crazy hijinks clone daughter thing, you sort of give up any chance to sue the manufacturer and get rich off of them. You know, it's like uh, it's pros and cons. But if but assuming I go with the crazy cloning decision, then I tell no one because the only per- like at that point, like I said, I'm damned anyway. And the only thing I do is ruin it for everyone else. So you just got to suck it up and let everyone else believe that. They're living the lives they thought they were living. I agree. And given my knowledge of women, which lately feels more theoretical than practical, <laughs> you, you, you know, if you tell them, they'll be like, I wish you never told me. If you don't tell them, they'll be like, you should have told me. But you know, you should never have told them. Right. Right. So as far as the wife is concerned, it's like, no, if I had the time machine and I told you, you'd be telling me I wish I never knew. And right. so it's like, all and right, that done. means that means all the way down to the very your last minutes of life, you're 87, you're failing and your daughter's holding your hand. You got grandkids all around you and you really just want to whisper, P.S. You're a clone. I but you murdered can't do you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, technically, you murdered yourself. I told you to stay away. It really was a, like an eight step 
a blast radius, but you were really rambunctious. I'm not pointing fingers, but you definitely were at fault. I, I'm going to die now. You, well, you, you, tell, you, you tell her to go look in the chest of drawers, and there is her finger. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Jeez, Daddy, how this happened. So this brings me to the question I really wanted to get at, okay? Okay. So um, imagine a not-too-distant future. Uh, all of my enterprises, you know, lead me to being pursued by international courts, what have you. I'm out <laughs> of the picture, okay? Um, you know, I'm a man on the run, you know? Um, and yet, strangely, deep- you still have time to email me these bizarre scenarios <laughs> yes. involving my family. Okay. <laughs> so, so Justin is working for you. Justin's your new road guy. Ugh, okay. great. Jesus. All right. Okay, so Justin's your road guy, so you guys are on the road, going from colleges to colleges and all that. And Justin still decides to keep up the furious pace, the blogging, the eye tricks, the NSFW show, uh, throw down a tarp, um, all <laughs> the other, the weird thing stuff, uh, his uh, kinky German chat site that he has, <laughs> all this stuff, okay? Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, I'm a big boy. Um, so... Justin's driving you back from one late night show, right? And, uh, you know, of course, it's a little distracting when you perform because Justin's in the back on the iPhone carrying away doing whatever. But, you know, anyhow, and he's multitasking a lot. And you're driving, you're like, Justin, I think you have too much on your plate. Justin's like, I can handle it, man. I can handle it. Okay. So you drive him back late one night from a show across the Texas prairie, passing the field where you murdered your daughter. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Justin's driving and Justin pulls out his new iTablet or whatever. Doesn't see the road. You guys veer off into a ditch, and it's a horrific accident. Okay, on the same spot, nearby. It's haunted. It's what haunted. Are, don't what you? are the odds? Okay, so uh, you guys, horrific accident. You black out. Okay, and it's all Justin's fault. Just so you know. Okay, okay? he's trying to drink his coffee, play with his iPhone and his tablet at the same time, and he's been up for you know who knows how long. Straight. He's also keeping up with his very popular yeah. after the show podcast, after okay. Brian's <laughs> show. <laughs> so uh, he speaks exactly. You come, you come too. You're not. You're in a surgery ops hospital, okay? Oh, and you're in this clinic where you know the whole daughter thing happened. Okay, you're in this clinic, right? Now I'm not going to say what's injured. You get to choose what's injured. If you have the chance, the opportunity now to replace parts of you with bionic, synthetic, replicated parts, what would you replace? Uh, <laughs> um, they, <laughs> first of all, I'm just glad. I thought I thought I was convinced that you were going to tell me that I woke up and and would have to figure out that I was a clone. <laughs> Uh, but if I'm just replacing body parts, Justin's I mean, junk is in your mouth. <laughs> oh my god, this robotic! Ah, junk. my elaborate plan has come to fruition. <laughs> or better yet, I get up and I think everything's fine, and I turn, and it's like only the original head of Brian survives, and Justin's junk is in his mouth. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I gotta tell you, thought I thought you wouldn't mind, bro. I, I would probably say I would go with both legs i'd love to just be able to run and run super freaking fast run like a cheetah you know yeah. scientists scientists have uh today there was an article that came up that said the theoretical upper limit for the speed for humans 40 miles per hour wow well the uh, and also there was a there was the guy the guy with the the double amputee that wanted to compete in the olympics but he couldn't because mm-hmm. he was superior to flesh and blood do you remember that guy yeah yeah, yeah, the, yeah uh, the guy with the guy with the crazy spring legs. Yeah, cheater. The scissors. That's which, which 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 brings me to a point which I'm going to make as a segue here because we're entitled. Um, 
you know, uh, Dean Kamen, the guy inventor of the Segway, he's working on those really cool robotic arms. He's got one called the Luke, named after like the Luke Skywalker hand. Have you seen this? No, but that sounds yeah, it's like, on the like kind of sixty thing. minutes recently. Yeah, they've got these. This the new because the problem is prosthetic legs are fantastic compared to where they were. You know, they're twenty first century prosthetic legs. That's why you have people who could compete in the Olympics with prosthetic limbs. Right. Prosthetic arms are still very medieval looking in how they work and function. And that was Dean Kamen's point. It's like it's still we're stuck in the 19th century. And he said, now we have people who are, you know, as we involved with dealing with terrorism, we're having people who lose limbs a lot. It happens a lot. And his thing is like, you know, let's let's come up with really good robotic limbs, you know, for these, you know, these, these bomb techs, people like that in Iraq. So. You, you know, replace them is I wonder if that's why I automatically said replace my legs because I just couldn't yeah. wrap my mind around superior hands. Well, because- here's the thing. Here's the thing. My thing is like, let's put these really high tech robotic arms on the bomb robots so we don't need to replace limbs. Genius. <laughs> Yeah, that Problem seems like solved. pretty much the way to go. Yeah, that's what I would do. But anyhow, it is amazing how this stuff is developing. So anyhow, you have your choice. You have your choice of anything you can have. So you want you want robot legs. Yeah, I, I'm going to say right now that's what I feel best about. Okay, so we're going up to the thigh. Uh, no, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying, uh, yeah, I, top of the thigh, top of the thigh on each legs. Okay, maybe you, do- you probably have to have like attachments in the glutes or something. Yeah, so we'll give you pelvis. But do you have any other enhancements? Uh, I, I'm sure I don't know where you're headed with this, Mr. Maine. <laughs> but if there are, I mean, look, if, if, you know, if, if the whole they, tune-up's available, then sure. Give me a list. You just check it off. Go under, no, wake yeah, up. Look, like, yeah, let's, yeah, I mean, sure. What could possibly go How far go do you wrong? go? How far do you go? You, you, you ever got to wonder, like, I don't know, is this, uh, is, is the robo junk on my copay? Yeah, is that covered? <laughs> taken care of. It's taken care of. Oh, that's right. one of those moments when there's a big difference between 99.9% success rate and 100%. <laughs> just, just a side note, I'm curious. You get to pick a number. <laughs> I mean, oh, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Nobody wants to hear the number right now. Um, but uh, I mean, how much more do you want to go? Uh, yeah, well, you want me to write it on a piece of paper and slide oh. it over to you? <laughs> by, by the way, I can name at least one person listening to this podcast that is dying for the number. <laughs> My point is, my point is, you know, th- there is an upper limit. You know, when you're 12, you probably don't think so. But, you know, there, there's a point where you're like, yeah, no, that's kind of inconvenient. No, that's one of those things. To be honest, I'd be afraid to make any alterations or changes because it seems yeah, like. Yeah, and then you talk you, to Bonnie and it, she's wait, like, you what? She's like, you did You had the chance? <laughs> well, you know what? That's a good point. That's what I'd be afraid of is, is making a change that was unauthorized. So maybe just ask. Yeah, see, her. that's the thing. You start having that argument, and then you casually throw in the fact that your daughter's a clone, and she's just, you know, just yeah. blows right by. Well, it. Here, oh well, yeah, yeah, whatever. But you had a chance to really, <laughs> you know, supersize it. Well, well, Brian, we have here a version of the prisoner's dilemma we've just stumbled upon, which, which is that you know the the robo junk's dilemma. Yes. Yeah. The the sage thing would be like, you know what? I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna hand that form to my wife. Let her fill it out, and that'll be fine. But she's presented with this form. Does she say keep it the same? Oh, like like to to save my feelings or something, or, or <laughs> yeah, do what it? does she do? You know, so it's like when the whole section, you know, the question of like, oh, should I have like you know boob job? You know, and like guys are like, <laughs> <laughs> I like you the way you are, but, but you know, if you wanted, wanted one. one, yeah, I suppose there would just be more of you to love were you yeah. to make a change. So, uh, Brian, unresolved, unresolved. Unresolved. I'm, I'm going to say the only alterations I'm going to make, like, I'm, I'm, I can wrap my mind around the legs. Everything else seems like too much risk of screwing stuff up. Justin? 
Number one, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna consult with the physicians. Uh, see what kind of options we have weaponry wise. Uh, anywhere I can possibly weaponize, uh, I, I want to kind of uh, get I, that upgrade. I thought we were talking about that. Well, I mean, and then <laughs> in terms of that, in terms of where it counts, ate the hard way. No matter what, let's <laughs> let let let's roll with it. And I wanted to do tricks and light up too. Dude, that'd be awesome. It's all glowing. You got the lightsaber effect. Oh yeah, imagine that. Imagine could you could there be more of an impressive first sexual impression yeah, on, on probably, a young lady? Probably you be the turn last. Turn off the lights. It'd probably burn, be the last too. Close. Dude, there. I give it like two minutes until that's on the front page of fail blog. You take a yeah. video of that, and they're like, "Who's this guy?" Yeah, Justin walks up to a girl in the bar. Why is your crotch glowing? I think uh, talk about an icebreaker right there. <laughs> you're you're on you're on the move already. You're just no. hanging out with Brian and I, and we're driving along, sitting all up front in the pickup truck, and there's an eerie glow, and Brian and I look at you, and we're like, "That's ah. gonna be one of those moments when it's like you're just watching a movie in the darkened theater, and then the two people start making out, and you just hear." Everybody <laughs> looks at Justin. Yeah. Has that weird electronic hum the entire time too. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, in all seriousness, um, that that uh, salacious question aside, what uh, what enhancements would you have, Justin? Um, taller? No, I'm relatively comfortable with my height. I mean, that's the biggest thing is that like there are are alterations. I think I would like for a day, but I mean, I've lived you know 26 years, kind of getting comfortable with where I am physically now. I don't know. Well, you were a foot tall when you started. Yeah, but like now I've kind of plateaued. I'm okay. not going to be getting much taller. Well, you could here. Yeah, I don't know if I really want to though. I, mean, I think I've I, I kind of have my whole gimmick now is tailored to being somewhat shorter, or, uh, you know, shorter, slightly shorter than average. <laughs> you know what's funny know. though is I've my actually gimm- noticed because I I work all these colleges. I've noticed just in the decades since I've started performing at college how much taller all the students are. Like it used to be that it was really hard for me to find two people to tower over me. And now it's like every show, it's like I'm starting to feel weirdly inadequate because all the girls are towering over me as well. Yeah, these kids are getting taller and taller. You know, that's what I'm saying. It's it's a uh, you know, thing to think of. You know, I I, see like I I'm I'm six two, which in in some situations I could be I'll be, you know, the taller among the taller or tallest guy in a room. But then when I'm not, I'm like the first guy to, I'm like, it's like, why, why? And then, then you, I, you know, go into a room and everybody's taller than me or whatever. And then it's just, just crushes me. <laughs> oh, see, it's because you, you run gotten... screaming out. Whoa! No! You know? You've gotten too used to being on the high end where it's just like, I've always been tidy. So it's like being really yeah. tiny. It's kind of like, eh, that's a little and bit that's, worse. And that's the thing is like, even a six, two, it's like, you know, I'll walk through, if I go to a high school or whatever, and I'll see these kids that are just, you know, tower over me. And you look at statistics and stuff in like Denmark and whatever, like the average male now is like six, two or something. And so, I mean, it's just, it's a weird thing to like, even think that like, you know, growing up as a tall kind of guy to now see how that's becoming the norm in many places. Now, by the way, Andrew, to answer your question, I I don't know outwardly if I would have, or externally, I would have any upgrades, but I would certainly be for uh, upgrading the guts, any kind of internal organs, like hearts and lungs and, and stuff like that. I think that would be, that would be kind of where I would go. Now that, I guess that's presupposing that 
that the replacement is superior. I mean, you could do that right now. I don't know that that anyone. Oh yeah, would... no, no, no. Well, I mean, obviously, we are dealing with cutting edge scientific technology. So cutting, cutting edge, edge that they need to keep it in a nondescript warehouse yes. in Texas. That's like true. that's how that that's you know where we're at in terms of uh in terms of the the leading edge. So I'm assuming that it's something that will upgrade my my current hardware. Brian, yes. Start with you again. You're given a large sum of money. Okay. Finally, large, a realistic question. Good. Yes. Okay. You get a large sum of money and an island. Okay. Not a small island either. You know, some island, you know, maybe on South America. Australia. You know, uh, you know uh, not, not that big. And I think that's a subcontinent. But anyhow, we digress. <laughs> so, uh, we, uh, you get an island, right? And it's like outside the hurricane belt, really big island, really nice. And uh, you're told like, all right, Brian, okay, this is like some some world fund founded by like Bill Gates and you know Warren Buffett and Soros, and they just got really drunk one night and you know watched a bunch of scam school episodes. Like that's the guy, okay? They signed off. They signed off the paperwork, you know. And the next play charity like, chicken. Got it. They're like, like what did we do? Uh, you're told you're given the task, create a utopia. Uh oh, how do you do it? What do you do? What's your utopia going to be? They're like, all right, you know, we say that uh, you can. We're going to have a hundred thousand people are going to move here in three years' time. You know, bunch of us rich folks, whatever. Uh, what is what is your? Well, how are you going to plan for this? What are you going to do? You know what? I mean, I, I the closest thing to this that has ever happened was was really the the founding of America because there was. It was a weird situation where they they kind of got to start from scratch and they had these vague notions about the nature of man and freedom and and the ability for people to prosper when they had control of their own lives and government didn't get involved. And I would I would try to stick to that. I might make some changes to the voting system. I would probably do the Australian ballot where you get a first choice and a second choice for instant runoff, that kind of thing. But I'm going to model it very heavily on what's worked for uh, for the USA. Okay. All right. It's a very safe sort of choice there. Now, one of the items we have on Weird Things this week is we uh, our Matt goes into a bit about talking about some attempts at utopian communities. And if you look at the history of the United States, it's fascinating, particularly in the 19th century, how many times people tried to start their own utopian communities. And a number of big cities today or cities and places around the country were started as such. And one religious group or some ideological people tried to do this and have their own way it was going to be. And then you had uh, – later on, you'd have very, very wealthy uh, entrepreneurs and philanthropists, people like you know Henry Ford and whatnot, tried to you know create you know their own ideal factory towns, Walt Disney. And so this is a thing that keeps reoccurring is people want to try and create you know sort of their ideal – place you know there's you know the, the free state project where the libertarians want to sort of take over like new hampshire or what have you so it keeps coming up but you're saying your model is going to be is just use the same level of governance that we have now let me ask you something though yeah yeah and because i gotta tell you i'm pretty i'm pretty happy with the u.s the only thing i'm unhappy with is the the slow slide into bureaucracy that we get where it just it, we, we have this kind of slow organic growth where it's like all these barnacles getting on our ship and it's like i would just try to figure out how to Keep those barnacles. Well, off. Then, let's talk about that because you, here's the thing: is that you know it's it's going to be a very short time before people realize that the one path to power is political power and being able to control how money is spent. That's the way it works, and it's worked in every single 
civilization since the Babylonians and before was if you want power, control other people's money. And the more power you want, the more control over the money you have to have. And if you can't control all of the money they have now, control all the future money. And that's why we have, you know, such large national debt, et cetera. So, you know, is your, you know, how are you going to prevent that? I don't know. There was one science fiction story, and I wish I could remember. Probably one of the viewers read it, but like literally – it was a similar setup to America, but like in order to keep anyone from having aspirations of political success as a career, the way everyone had office was like completely at random. A lot was drawn and somebody had to be president for a year, just a random guy. And because it was like he had to leave the country better than he found it because there was no chance of him coming back. He would listen to his advisors and just, you know, serve like it was jury duty. Only he was the president. Maybe yeah, I'll was try something I like that. Yeah, there was an Isaac Asimov story where it was like one person got to vote because they basically, you know, they picked the average guy to vote. But, you know, the problem we have is that, you know, and, and that sort of tries to address it as the political animal. I mean, maybe it's not a problem, but some of us certainly perceive it as that, that the people who sort of want to be in politics, regardless of party, you know, look at that machine as a way to achieve power. So, by the way, you, know, you, you picked the worst possible time to ask me this question because I just finished. I'm, I'm literally in the last 20 minutes of the audiobook for The Fountainhead. So I've got oh, all yeah. kinds of Ayn Randian like, looters, moochers. <laughs> well, well, I mean, well, well, hold on. Wait. And just in terms of the scenario, it sounds like you guys are talking about larger political machines or democratic machines of governance where if you ran like an island nation, you're talking about what, a max couple thousand couple hundred i mean we're talking about a, a smaller utopian society, we said a, we right? said a population of a hundred thousand but you look at even smaller size look at the problems that iceland got itself into yes you know and, and so what were those these, problems i actually don't know well basically uh iceland was you know how was going through a period of surpluses and started building up you know extreme large amounts of debt and then all of a sudden the surpluses started to decline and it's the classic problem that they were you know facing you know severe severe economic problems and still are right now you know potential economic collapse <clears throat> so that's why, like when you hear problems that are that gigantic it's like i you understand when it's like you all of a sudden want to stop thinking about it like a real problem and just want to mm -hmm. become a comedian instead where you could just make these idiotic giant platitudes that you're going to speak in and be like, just do this, and then it's done. All right. Why don't you give all the poor people the CEO's money? Yeah, there you go. How, why so don't you, you just make a law? Everyone makes maximum wage. Psh. Do you, you have... got to smoke weed once a week. Can I get a witness? Yeah. <laughs> do you have public schools? Uh, no, I'm okay with corporate-owned everything. Now, maybe you have taxes and you have money attached to the child the way they have like uh, in, in the Netherlands, where it's like you've got, say, $3,500 per semester per child, and you spend it wisely on whatever kind of school you want. And then because uh, uh, that's, that's uh, a, a very difficult problem. You know, it, well, I mean, you don't want to get me started. That's, that, yeah, I'm okay with public, uh, private-run everything. Okay, private-run everything. So you're going to have a tax. Yeah, I'm okay with with some taxes too. Well, but but Brian, even and I, I'm I'm for private run schools and everything, but like at the end of the day, you know, government is also a really handy way to blame people and when things go wrong to eliminate them and make it seem like things are getting done in a in a public way that everyone is involved in. You know, you could have a public school system. I mean, that doesn't mean you have to ban 
everybody who wants to set up a private school thing. No, I, uh, well, I agree. And, and we don't have a ban against private schools, but it is very difficult to, you, you have to spend your own money on top of the money you already spent on, in taxes to go. But, but you know, we, we don't want this to be a school, a school discussion. All right. Justin, any thoughts on what your ideal utopia would be? Well, number one, if we're talking about the infancy of a utopia, uh, first thing, as I got to find the first president, because there's no way that I'm going to be that guy. There's, <laughs> there's no way that the first president of anything ever gets out clean. It is so, What are you so, talking so about? So George rare. Washington. Come on. He's on the $1 bill. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, number one, George Washington didn't even want the gig initially. You know, he was, he was uh, you know, kind of fell backwards into it. And also, like, you know, and for every one guy that we can lionize, as the the first president and everything, there's a million other examples of somebody who sets up a system, runs it, things start to go sideways, and uh, he's hung in the town square before it's said and done. It, yeah, it, it very rarely ends everything. well for the first guy. Like, yeah, like like you have the ability. I mean, you can abdicate, I guess, but but like it's your island. You own everything. That's my point. It's way better to be the village elder. You know, the guy who's just like, you have to master. go to him. Yeah, well, yeah, you have to go to him. He gets his voice heard. He's maybe the founder, okay? But uh, you want somebody in there you know, signing the checks and doing all the paperwork. Because there's, you know, push is going to come to shove. Someone's water is going to get shut off. Someone's going to get their, their wires crossed. And that guy's going to be bayoneted and his family will be drugged dead in the streets at some point. It is a mortal lock. All right. You heard it. <laughs> so uh, we, we, we're not filled with any really ambitious ideas. We'd like to replicate what we've seen before, but all right. We're I'm safe. Kind of, we're chicken. Kind of, bored, kind of bored by your ideas, you know. These. Well, where are you at, Captain Genius? He's all about the tube technology and, and gems in your wrist that tell you when it's time to make your run before it's time <laughs> yeah. for carnival. Step one, declare self-emperor. <laughs> yeah. Step two, declare everybody else subjects. Step three, harem. All right, done. So wait, no, but but in seriousness, so you have no fear just being dictator for life? All right, well, I mean, let me let me explain. It doesn't it. concern you at all the fact that like twenty minutes. I mean, you will have a great time. Yeah, talk about the prisoner's dilemma. You will default big time. You'll have a great time. You'll live in the perfect society, and then twenty minutes after you die, it, you know, as it crumbles all around you, somebody's gonna have to pick up the pieces. But here's my plan. Okay, immortality, part one. Um, <laughs> Just ever making a law. Since, <laughs> ever since I was a kid and I read the Dune books, I had this unhealthy fascination with becoming like, you know, just the, the, the immortal emperor lord of the universe. Doesn't um, show at all. No, I know. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't show at all. Um, and, and just that whole idea of that, you know, the, the, the idea of uh, – Fascinating. This, this in no way has anything to do with your fascination with uh, Ray Kurzweil's work. Well, I mean, that would certainly help me extend my reign. Yeah, um, it doesn't and, doesn't uh, factor in at all to the fact that you uh, you 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 cotton most to Adrian Veet in the Watchmen story. There is <laughs> pointed that out. Um, anyhow, my point being is that uh, obviously, you know, you never want to live in an empire that's not your own. You know, the, the benevolent dictator is a fantasy. We all sort of think that, you know, the problem is, is we agree with we should have laws and rules and things like that. But we know government gets to be sort of very, very uh, convoluted and bloated in that, you know, the, the law idea of unintended that, consequences. Yeah. You hope for that sort of that person to come along, you know, the Alexander to kind of sever the knot, so to speak, and 
be the one, the noble individual who who has everybody else's interest in mind, but has the power to make things happen. And we know that's not really a reality because number one, never going to be able to make everybody happy, which is of course true. Number two is that any person is a person is going to have their own problems. You know, Plato in talking about utopia, talked about the whole idea of philosopher kings and these guys who were just totally removed from society, you know, which seemed to me like just sort of a yeah, horrible idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. idea. That's, that's exactly yeah. who you want making all the decisions. Somebody yeah, totally removed uh, from society. Imagine all of your very, very out there hippie college professors running things. <laughs> Um, not good, not good. Um, as much as we may have loved those people, uh, not the best leaders. And, uh, you know, these are people who think that, you know, idealism is all there is, which I, is a None problem. of this is helping your argument to be our supreme emperor. Oh, sire. Lord, no, I no, you don't want that. I mean, you do, you actually do. It would be good, but I would never, <laughs> I would never convince myself that I'd be able to persuade you of that. Uh, well, and that, you know, the other thing that, yeah, and, and Matt points out in the uh, in the Oneonta uh, Utopian Society post that he has up Monday when we're recording this. And, and by the way, uh, Wednesday and Friday, he's going to have more Utopian articles. Wait, is that Oneonta uh, New York? Yes, oh. uh, and Oneonta Flatware. I didn't um, know that. I was just there. Yeah. Started as a uh, sex cult. But awesome. yeah, that's Sweet. How, Best kind of cult. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's how these things normally wind up, is, is, you know, the system might be different, but they kind of always end up with Young girls uh, banging old guys. By the way, that's at, a society that may be like, you'd be like, clearly we have the best society ever. And then you have one industrial accident and you're just like, this is the worst society right. ever. <laughs> well, that's, that's, you know, as you know, Brian, that's one of the problems that when people try to argue against free trade, you know, the idea that, you know, oh, we should each be independent and whatnot. Well, that didn't really work for Ireland in the 19th century. And we can go on and on with examples just how, how bad that is and just how bad it is for your economy, how bad it is for just the standard of living to not, you know, take advantage of what other places can do more efficiently. And, you know, when you have these sort of these one town utopias, that's the problem there is, oh, this is a great. And you get one calamity that comes in there and people write it off when, well, maybe, maybe it was a good idea, but you needed 40 of them. Maybe you needed to sort of the whole system working together that could absorb that. Hmm. Which, yeah, the, the uh, calamity and Oneonta. young chicks. Yeah, yeah. the calamity I, I, and Oneonta being like an STD came in. Is that what happened? I would. Uh, yeah, the chicks got fat. Um, <laughs> well, you know, ice cream apocalypse of 08. <laughs> well, you know about some of the uh, the the Jack Mormon groups in uh, Utah and Arizona. The you know the the non non official whatever Mormon groups. They have these towns where. They're run by a bunch of creepy old guys, and when the young men turn 18, they literally kick them out on the street. Wow. Because they want all the young women for themselves. Yeah, this is, this I, is, I think this that's, sounds that's very Andromanian. Big love. Yeah, it's, that's a, it's a real thing happening right now, and there are groups that try and you know, help find places for the you – know, imagine this. You're, you're 18. You're probably not given much of an education because, you know, face it, the people in your town are not that well-educated, and you're kicked out literally no money, no nothing. Because you know all the the males there, the older ones want to maintain power, and that yeah, happens. Bang and we your see chick. we see yeah. that when people elect not to, you know, in some of the the, the Amish. You know, I hate to offend any of the mm -hmm. Amish people listening to We're our listening, podcast, absolutely. but uh, <laughs> but it's I'm like there. you know, Amish Pl communities have a chance to opt out at a certain age, and then you do, and it's Rump like Springer. <laughs> what it's called? Well, here it's not a choice; it's you're being forced out. <laughs> it's get out. Yeah, it's like all right, hit the road because uh, get out. We've given you no tools. You're 14, a new reality show. 14-year-old Sally Perkins looking kind of good there. Um, you and your blue balls are expelled <laughs> from this village. 
So I, I think the uh, if if I were to, in a nutshell, you know, try and encapsulate my idea, if I were to try and start things over, is, you know, it's hard to figure out what part of our success was based upon uh, what sort of values we brought into. You know, when we created the United States, we had a bunch of people who were very self-sufficient farmers. And people bring up, oh, the religion and all this other thing. Well, it's it's more of being when you're a farmer, you have a certain level of self-sufficiency in your religion beliefs tend to reflect that instead of vice versa. I really, really am a big believer that your environment dictates your choice of beliefs rather than vice versa. And I think that's, you know, borne out by your rather than your your beliefs dictating your environment. I would agree with that. Well, but no, I mean you look at you look at the spread of Islam around the world. Right. And and you have, you know, your your Islamic extremists are tend to, you know, congregate around a certain couple countries that you have, you know, you have Muslim people in just about every part of the world, but the only time you ever hear about extremists in other places is when it comes to like real political type factions, you know, but not so much. So and and I think that it's, you know, people who are in the more tropical kind of countries, a little more laid back, more mellow, whatever, you know, their their belief system almost reflects like the animus beliefs of other people around there. And I think that Part of what worked for our country, in a sense, is initially we have a lot of people who are really self-sufficient. You know, we had a lot of Quakers who came in from, you know, England who had an idea about, you know, economic structure and whatnot. And these were people who were considered outsiders there that came here. But it's not this sort of gun-crazy culture that people make. And it's, you know, self-sufficient farmers. And so a lot of our ideas were based upon that. As we became more, you know, living more towards cities and things like that, we had to reflect sort of the values when you're surrounded by a bunch of stain- strangers and you have to rely upon you know, the city and government and whatnot. So by, by the way, uh, it occurred to me after the fact, after we were talking about it, that your question is very close to what they explore in the, the Mars trilogy, the green Mars, blue Mars, red Mars. You read that, right? Um, I think I may have read the first one. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the things they talk about once they decide, uh, you know, that they essentially declare independence, they try to, they have to figure out what kind of government they're going to have. And there's a little yeah. bit of kind of, they briefly have this thing where it's like every exchange should always the person should try to make sure the other guy gets the better end of the deal, which is a little yeah, bit kind of like weird, good luck yeah. with that one. But uh, <laughs> but other parts of it, they they seem to model most of it on kind of the United States. Yeah. yeah by the way, and this is something that people have brought up a little bit in terms of the the comments on on the podcast. But we we really should do a weird things book club kind of thing because I think we always mention like three or four books per podcast. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we uh, let's do that at the end. We'll all uh, mention what we're reading, and we'll get in just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. All right, and even just listen to the kind of books that are relevant to the conversation, like I mean, yeah. Like the, well, yeah. At the very yep. least, we can uh, we can put a, like a uh, you know you can get an Amazon bookstore link on the website where any if they buy any of the books, then it gets a cut back to weird a little things. affiliate cash. That's Hello. right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Sorry, Andrew. Go buy ahead. books I already have. <laughs> so. We've, uh, you know, I guess we'll, we'll we'll pick up probably the the utopia, the ideal situation, another time. But that's a great. We're gonna. Travis is already offered and is willing to help set up the forum for us. It just takes some initiative on my part. See, this is which, part of this is part of Andrew's utopia is where yeah. people just volunteer to take care of massive parts of the website. <laughs> yeah, no, that's helpful. Brian, my question for you is this. Yes. Uh, given the recent events in Haiti, you know, which is one of these just totally random things that an hour before it happened, nobody would have thought that the thing that we were going to be talking about in, in 
worrying about and thinking about is the. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that alarm go off. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the klaxon sounding. That was my Haiti alarm, I guess. Yeah. So you know, here all of a sudden you have these people in you know right near you know we live in Florida, so it's it's you know kind of close to us in the sense that we have a lot of friends with relatives there and all that. Here's this tremendous, humongous, large scale disaster that's affected the lives of millions of people right there who are still, you know, in the middle of this. And if you haven't contributed, you know, do so now, please. Um, but anyhow, hour before, weren't even thinking about that. You know, we list the things we need to worry about. Terrorism's at the top of the list, et cetera. Then all of a sudden, here comes this humongous earthquake and just ruins the lives of a lot of people. Looking at disasters, what are what are disasters? What are large scale disasters that you worry about? Uh, well, I mean, uh, man, I guess it seems like it seems like that's sort of a a losing proposition to play that game because every time we think we got the right disaster in our target you know all of a sudden we get hit from the side with something real like Mm -hmm. this i mean how long have we been uh you know not you know no matter where you stand on the war on terror uh certainly our casualties in the last decade have not gotten anywhere close to to one day of this random national natural disaster uh I'm, i'm hesitant to even play the game just because I know I'll lose. But if I'm going to, well, you know, no, I, no, it's a, and the question is, what do you worry about? It's not what you think we should be doing. It's a, so you're fa- your, any answer you give is fair. Uh, I I'd say the big ones that I can wrap my mind around. Uh, the ones I like to think about are stuff like the, uh, the Yellowstone super volcano, mm-hmm. which, uh, which I, you could probably explain that better than I can, but it's essentially all of Yellowstone is one big volcano. Is that right? Yeah. It's like the largest volcano in the solar system. <laughs> Right. And so uh, that's yeah, that'll shrink your balls. Jeez. <laughs> and like literally the way they say it, it's like one day it will just explode, um, you know, and then you think about other stuff, like regardless of how long all of humanity lives at some point, the sun explodes. But do you know what I found out? Do you realize that that Andromeda is going to collide with the Milky Way before the sun explodes? Did well, you know that? No, I did not know that. That makes yeah. sense, though. I was I was totally no. surprised by that. I thought, what an amazing like uh, in 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 a before the suns when theoretically man is still living on planet Earth, uh, Andromeda will fill up the entire night sky, hmm. which right now you can barely see it as a star with the naked eye. Right. Uh, one of the other moments that uh, blows my mind. I'm still still trapped in the early '90s because it's a very real threat. Uh, an asteroid landing mm-hmm. what, you know, crashing did, you, did you see the thing today where there's a, some more data coming out that you know we they just detected another near-earth object and you know they're saying we don't have the capability to stop something or do anything about something that could come up on us you know we're no kidding yeah well i know that russia was saying like just for <laughs> grins they wanted to practice on this this near-earth asteroid swinging back around for yeah. uh, i forget what, what year it was was destined to be a close call with us, which I think that's a good idea. I mean, you know, practice on something that you know is probably not going to hit us anyway, but then just see if you can raise our margin of safety. I think that's prudent. Well, let me give you some pause for concern there. There is a a, a global ban on putting nuclear weapons in space. Right, but nuclear weapons aren't the way to go, period. I mean, that's that's not even the most effective way to do it. You want a mass driver or a uh, or or to just do a uh, what they call a gravity drive, where you take a large vehicle, a large spaceship, you just hang out near yep. an asteroid the, and then just let the gravity of it. Pull yeah, the, it the, the gravity tug. The problem with the gravity tug is you need several years or more to get right. that to work, and that that's sort of the uh, you know the gravity tug is like you know you get present. Oh, the gravity tug's the best way. Yep, it's the best way if you got time. 
Right. You know, well, all we, of them, all of them require time. And and yeah. really, with that kind of momentum and that kind of, you know, if, if, if we find out a week ahead of time, what an amazing week that would be because there, there ain't nothing you're going to do about it. It's going to smash in and that's it. By the way, the gravity tug sounds like something that happens when you're on your belly at a Chinese massage parlor. <laughs> Just pointing that but out. But the, the mass driver, I think, is is better than the gravity tug. Essentially, the mass driver is you land a robot onto the uh, asteroid, and it digs up a chunk of rock and flings it off to the side. Then it digs up another chunk of rock, flings it off to the side, and it just keeps doing that. Each time, it's actually propulsing the asteroid in the opposite direction from where it's flinging pieces of the asteroid. Okay. That seems so, like the best one right there. So, so Yellowstone and asteroids, your biggest fear. Uh, yeah, those are the ones that I keep finding myself thinking back to. And maybe, I don't know, I'll I'll allow for like a Skynet reinventing the Cold War ICBM disaster. I had a dream the other night. I must be stressed because I dreamt three days ago that like randomly Russia just got pissed off from the Cold War 20 years ago and just launched everything. And like cities were blowing up all on the East Coast of the United States. And uh, all of a sudden I realized that that we just didn't have enough food. Like our house was far enough out of town that we were okay but we wanted to lay low for a while, and we just didn't have enough food. And I literally woke up because, like, when I – in my dream, I ended up having to go out and get food, and there were highwaymen, and, like, you know, it's probably a scenario that Andrew Main would come up with with my children getting captured or whatever. And I realized <laughs> – trading one into white slavery. Exactly, exactly. So I actually Scenario, woke up it's the plan. To, <laughs> I actually woke up wanting to buy one of those crackpot, you know, sufficient-for-a-year kits. Justin, what's your biggest concern? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm concerned with mega disease because that to me is something that just pops up, you know, one day, all of a sudden some crazy person who ate an entire half chicken, half ape, uh, <laughs> raw, just gets on a flight to Miami, starts coughing on everybody's face. And next thing you know, we're just all dead before the, the, the antivirals can be shipped in and be cooked up in a lab somewhere. Like I'm worried, I'm worried about that. Uh, you know, everything else, I mean, you know, uh, I kind of have faith in our infrastructure to take care of and I think we can see coming down, down, down the pike. Uh, you know, like I like our odds with an asteroid coming toward us. I, I like, uh, you know, I think all of our crazy billionaires get together and they, you know, uh, pool in to see, you know, make some you know solution for it. I think I, I like our, I like our odds when, uh, an, an asteroid's trying to play at our ingenuity and inventiveness, but. You know, the, the, the mega plague. I mean, really, the only upside on that is that everybody starts dying and, you know, maybe I get to get a few laughs in like some sort of Decameron-style storytelling session. That's really the only upside. I see. Now, and you realize, like, it's interesting because there are people who believe that's exactly the track we're on right now with uh, with climate change. Like, like there are people to whom it's plain as day that that this is as bad as an asteroid coming to smack us and we got people running up and down the street swearing that there is no asteroid, which makes me wonder if there really was an asteroid coming at us, would there be people running up and down the street swearing that there is no asteroid? Well, surely, but there would be science to back up the fact that there was. I think, yeah, it comes back to the immediacy problem. And the uh, the the ray of light in your scenario, Justin, is that my my smarter friends tell me that the threat of global disease or pandemics is 
going to be a declining kind of thing that that the the chances of something like that the thing that wipes us out because of our ability to sequence things so quickly i think we talked about this before the fact that you know where it took us you know 10 years to sequence you know the hiv uh yeah. virus that now that you know with the last like the you know sars or whatever took us like eight weeks and you yeah. know these things we're getting faster and faster in developing the things the antivirals and whatever to combat this stuff so not to say that that doesn't negate the threat entirely but as far as the thing that wipes us out our ability as a super organism to compete or to combat these things is just increasing exponentially and there's you know kind of a short window of which we kind of got to worry about then after that it's going to be probably the volcanoes and the asteroids and the other stuff. I say that now as somebody in some Kowloon markets chomping down on some ape chicken meat and <laughs> <laughs> getting ready to board a transatlantic <laughs> flight and spread this. But, uh, you know, that's that's when they start talking about, you know, the scenarios to worry about. And they have these conferences, too, to talk about this stuff. And I think I mentioned this before, the number one scenario that, like, the really, really smart people I know say is malevolent AI, which, of course, just sounds like the most far-out fanciful kind of thing to think about. But uh, who knows? You know, I don't I don't really consciously worry about that so much right now because, you know, we know we've got it's not going to happen tomorrow. You know, it's if we follow the Kurzweil sort of predictions, we got another 20 years or so before we need to really worry about that. But in the near term, you know, asteroids come I mean, out of nowhere. We already have a rudimentary form of malevolent AI in, in Botnet, viruses. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. You got zombie botnets and you got mm-hmm. worms and all kinds of malevolent stuff out there. Yeah, we yeah, absolutely do. And those things are going to get smarter and more cunning. But once they have the ability to, you know, take physical form or control I think physical it's form. It's all over with the moment it's able to manufacture a significantly creepy metallic voice. Like once right. that happens, then they really rise Shall to power. Shall we play a game? <laughs> when they can <laughs> when they can chuckle with a robo voice, that's when I'm that's when I'm but by the way, my right, if these AI have become self-aware, aren't they gonna know that that's so cliche? That's like so been done. No, but that's it. That's their flaw. That's their hubris. They don't understand. Like they think they got humanity figured out and they think they're playing the game so well, but secretly it's their misunderstanding of our nature that will be their downfall. I I think it's going to sound like John Edwards. (laughs) Which which one? Which one? The the politician? The politician. Okay. Definitely. Well, here's the, uh, the... I used to hold on to the hope that we create this stuff and that, oh, they're not going to kill us because, you know, they're going to love us like we love our parents for the most part. And then I thought about it and, you know, you start reading about how they talk about the accelerated change and how, you know, one generation of AI creates the next generation of AI. And then by the end of the week, these things are billions of times smarter than us. Like, yeah, they're going to have the same sort of reverence that we do for like, you know, bacteria or eucroats or not even apes. I mean, literally like, you know, single cell organisms, you know. Like, yeah, that's that's great. I'm going to disinfect you because you really are relevant to me. They'll be that much further along. They're not just like smarter versions of us. They're a million times more sophisticated well, and totally than us. alien for us. Oh, yeah. Like you got to understand, like literally there's a closer connection to to us and eukaryotes than there would yep. be to a malevolent AI and, and us, its creator. Absolutely. Man, Absolutely. And, and I love what you I hadn't even really considered that before. The idea that in one week, an entire era an entire epoch could pass in in generational growth of these creatures are oh, you just now i'm gonna have new nightmares thanks <laughs> no problem no problem glad to do that um so the uh you know the hope is the uh, the only the only ray of light is that they'd have an appreciation for information and might just upload us onto some sort of hard drive 
and you know we'd be there keep us in a cage keep us in yeah. some kind of matrix hey th- there's your immortality yep. andrew by the yeah. way by the way <laughs> now it's like I-, I see all this like actually playing out and then i just picture the three of us in tanks and our virtual bodies in the matrix saying hey guys we should do a podcast we'll call it weird things <laughs> yes <laughs> what i you know i thought about it'd be neat to write a story at some point and I mean, it's, it's, it's been done over and over again, but like the realization that your world is not real or artificial and not in the matrixy kind of way, but like in a, another kind of way where, you know, you look at, uh, you look at the kind of the reverse realization that people had going through the middle ages where they believed that everything was structured, that a divine being created everything the you know, prior, you know, prior to that, you know, the, the uneducated sort of thought the world was flat, much smaller than it was, et cetera. And then these, the evidence that everything was constructed and planned slowly deteriorated. You know, we, we find out that no, we're not the center of the solar system. You know, then we find out that, you know, the first the earth, first that the earth is round, that you could, you know, there, you could have roundness and still be on the surface of it and, and gravitation. It's, and it's funny, too, how it's like at each phase, it's like, all right, fine. The Earth is round. still the middle of the universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're like, well, not so much. They're like, all right, fine. Are stars the center of the universe? No. No. Fine. 6,000 years old. No. Well, yeah, no. We, we no. were divinely created. How about Wait, that, yo? No. And that's the thing is we, we've gone through that sort of the, the realization of the natural world. And, and that's, a, that's a thing that we're still trying to grasp that many people refuse to. And that doesn't, you know, obviously doesn't mean that there can't be some sort of divine thing out there. But as far as the material world around us, that it's a very naturalistic thing. So I sort of love the idea of the theme of, of going in reverse once you've accepted as this naturalistic sort of world and what happens when – you know, you start looking at find some sort of base subatomic particle and we turn on these these accelerators and, you know, we're not getting the results that we should be getting. And scientists start to have to contemplate, well, you know, there's some sort of uh, lack of arbitrariness here or something. I don't know. I mean, that's that's a fascinating By idea. The way, to me. Uh, back to the conversation about like, you know, big national disasters. Uh, that's part of the reason, like, I've always felt like the faster we can get onto another petri dish the better mm-hmm. because we have all our eggs in one basket and that's like even if it's just the the petri dish next door like let's start with mars just to get mm-hmm. into that jumping on a new tank feeling and figure out what works and doesn't work and then you know alpha centauri next and let's let's diversify right now we have everything in one stock well let me let me bring you a segue here which was uh a friend of mine and somebody i you know i follow on twitter and who's who's into the astronomy thing, of course, is Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, who we all know. And uh, Phil was at a, uh, I guess it was a recent conference, and one of the things they had, like the guy who's head of NASA was talking about how his position is that the uh, manned space missions should not be taking funding away over the research, the pure science and whatever. It was coming out very, very pro Pro robot, yeah, pro robot stuff. Anti-human, as I like to think of it. Well, that was just sort of it, and and a sort of thing. And you know, my comment was, well, you know, taxpayers are paying for all of it, so you know, it's not like you're stealing from this other program here. You know, it's 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 our our checkbook. And I I love I love science. I love space science. Absolutely do. I mean, I you know anything that comes back from all the you know I try and follow the updates on stuff and all the latest telescope data and all this sort of stuff. It's just absolutely fascinating, and I and I I very very much you know, enjoy it. But 
if you had to ask me if I were spending public funds, what's the more responsible thing to spend? You know, a billion dollars on a thing to look at the edge of the universe or a billion dollars to figure out, you know, how to enable man which, to live in space. Which, by the way, it, it really puts in perspective. When you look at funding now for NASA and you think about how what a big undertaking is, we're still trying to go back to the moon. And it puts back really and puts in perspective the ridiculous, gigantic money based penis measuring contest we had with the Russians mm-hmm. in the 1960s. Like, that's unreal to me, the amount of money that we were spending. Now, but I'll, I'll say this, though, Brian, is that the, the NASA has always been very sort of not the best at sort of publicizing its value and that it has a lot of value and it's done great things. You know, you, you can't really make arguments over Velcro and Tang, et cetera. Right. But there, there are... always a cop-out argument anyway. Yeah, and, it is. And Carl Sagan was real down on selling stuff for the, uh, on the secondary benefits. He's like, look, if what you want is Velcro and Tang, then why don't yeah. you just spend all the money on a think tank to make up cool stuff like Velcro and Tang? Yeah, yeah. But the pure research thing is just as problematic. And I think that's sort of the problem is that the real, I think the best argument is the one you said is that, you know, getting us figuring out, you know, how do we, how do you build a self-sustaining colony on the moon? How do you do this? Because when you can figure that out, you'll figure out how to do, you know, it, it's not unlike, you know, trying to solve the fusion problem. So and fusion. I, I actually had a revelation on this because oh, I used please. to be very pro robot. I was anti-human in space because I read um, Pale Blue Dot uh, for the mm-hmm. book club. Uh, Carl Sagan's book, and uh, it was just phenomenal when he talks about how many orders of magnitudes, you know, you could do 20, 30, 40, 50 robot missions for the cost of one manned mission, because it's just it's just a very, very cumbersome way to mm-hmm. send some wetware into space. And uh, and so I was like, yeah, I know, totally down with robots. And actually, what kind of brought me back around to the human side was uh, was reading um, uh, James Cameron article. Uh, he edited an, ep- an issue of Wired magazine, I think it was like five years ago, and he was very passionately, very pro-bodies out in space, mm-hmm. explore. And, and when he says, he says, do you realize it's been, I think it was two and a half de- or two decades since anyone has seen a view of Earth as, as a as outside of the field of vision. Like everyone who's been going in the space station has been seeing it to where it's like the, the earth, you know, yes, you're, you're far away from it, but it's still taking up your entire field of view. He described it as putting your cheek on a basketball. And more importantly, no woman has ever seen earth as an orb floating in space. And wow. it's, and, and so he, he was very passionate. He's like, we need to move and explore and keep exploring because you know what? There's no, there's virtually uh, no places left to find here on our planet. And the only place we're going to go is by getting off this world. And the only way we're going to get good at getting off this world is by starting by moving bodies into space. And that really kind of brought me back into, into moving people out there. Although I'm very sympathetic to the pro robot agenda. Now screw that, because what are we going to do? We're going to build these AI and they're going to have some sort of physical form. And then they're going to have all the experience getting out into space. Yeah. They move out into space. They make their little, they have their little robot hangout and they're like, uh, still working on that boss. Look, lots of science. They're they're like filling out progress reports. And meanwhile, they're building robo casinos. Really great boss. Oh, don't worry. No, just keep writing checks. They're tittering to each other like assholes. We're we're looking at it through our space telescopes. We're like, is that a casino? <laughs> is that is that craps? And then, then, craps? then it's then it's like, all right, guys, we're ready for a new show up on Mars. They've got casinos and everything else there, and it's one big tourist destination just to bilk us. So it's like that. It's <laughs> yeah, like exactly. that awkward. It's that awkward threes company moment where it's like you walk in and they're like, oh, I didn't didn't know you'd be coming to Mars, boss. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. No. 
Well, no, no, they're like, oh, don't worry. We, we were going to take you on this free trip to Mars, and it's really a big timeshare thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Better yet, they load you into the Disney ride, and they're like, how exciting is this, guys? <laughs> so we're all for human exploration. And of course, the whole question of who should foot the bill you know, becomes a different issue. But every time we try and do one of these things, you know, we solve a bunch of little problems. It gets us a little bit closer. And you know, that's one of the biggest arguments is, you know, the Carl Sagan, oh, you know, you know, the 500 or 50 robot missions versus one man mission. One man mission, we learn something new about surviving in space. Yeah, we learn a lot that we wouldn't and, learn from robots. And from, and from a species point of view, from an evolutionary point of view, we've sort of enhanced our capability. From an odds laying point of view. I mean, like if we want to go, yeah, dude, yeah. You know, and, you know it's the, the, you know, the International Space Station. Um, you know, the problem with the International Space Station, besides being a huge international bureaucratic nightmare, is that it's, uh, you know, you, we don't know. They do all sorts of research up there, I'm assured of, and I've seen some stuff. But, you know, you got to wonder, you know, if you're going to be putting people into space, do we be more ambitious? The problem with the space station is that they finally got Internet access this week. <laughs> Forget any productivity now. And there you go. Can you only imagine, you know. What kind of filtering they have on that? <laughs> yeah, that's got to be weird because you know they're looking over your shoulder at everything you exactly. look at. I-, I wonder if they can get Google when they float over China. What is wrong? What is wrong? What is wrong with? What is wrong with your face? Hey, by by the way, I I don't know if it, this is a little bit off topic, and we can cut this later if we want, but. Uh, just come out on DVD. I was so late to the game. Took me forever till I finally got to see it. I was literally counting the days until Moon came out on DVD because I missed it. Fantastic! I missed it in its theatrical release, and I just love it on so many levels. First of all, it's it's great classic sci-fi. I love the aesthetic, the fact that they went back and embraced uh, some of the some of the things that, that I guess the art design style of, of the golden age of science fiction in the seventies. Uh, it was I love it. Cannot say enough good things about it. It's a great, great movie. Check it out. Absolutely. Highly recommend it too. All right. Well here, I'll tell you what the, the, uh, the, the email that was sent in is actually kind of a, a bigger topic and we're kind of getting to the end. We'll do that next time. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, yeah. We'll do it. We'll do it next time, but real quick. Do we want to do, want to do a quick book club? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, book or whatever, Brian, you're reading Fountainhead. This is the first time you've read it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was late to Ayn Rand. I read a couple of years ago. I read Atlas Shrugged. Uh, I liked it quite a bit and you know, everyone's got their own little beefs with Ayn Rand, but certainly uh, whether you will agree or disagree, you should speak from a point of knowledge and actually read it. And if you're going to read it, then definitely do the audiobook because the nice thing is it's intimidating when you hold that giant volume, especially when there are long preachy passages. But when you're listening to the audiobook, you can kind of let the words flow over you like water and still uh, still you know be plowing forward the entire time. Just finished The Fountainhead. Liked it a bit, uh, a little bit weird with some of the mm-hmm. rapiness in there. Uh, that yeah. was that was a little bit odd to me, but but still uh, very interesting. Liked it quite a bit. Uh, highly recommend both of those. You know, the thing about those books, which it's interesting, there's been a lot of discussion of lately of Ayn Rand's legacy and some of the libertarian groups have brought some of this up. And I think Reason Magazine has been doing some pieces about this. And the the best analogy or argument I've heard made about them is that it's they're, they're, if they're overwritten, they're melodramatic, they're kludgy. But when most people read them, you're a teenager. 
And, yeah. you know, it's perfect. It's for that point in life, everything in life is like that for you. And so that's why those books resonate so well with teenagers and young people. Well, and As I in, never, I never, especially when it's a book about ideas and you're mm-hmm. portraying a utopian society or a way you think things should be, that I forgive a lot. When I'm reading 1984 or Brave New World or um, uh, Walden 2, the, the B.F. Skinner book, I, I understand all of those are going to be kind of kludgy in the storytelling, but that's not really why you're reading the book to begin with. So it's like, I always feel like that's a cheap shot to grade it on the artistic merit. For example, uh, Michael Crichton's book, State of Fear, uh, I think he had some really interesting uh, arguments, whether you agree with them or not, regarding environmentalism. But uh, but again, like I was really bummed because everyone's responses to be like, yeah, well, it's just so unrealistic. What a dumb book. And uh, and it's like, wow, that's not really the point of him writing that at all. My, my problem with the book wasn't the realism. I, I think is if, if Michael Crichton books, as far as how written, well written it was compared to others, yeah, you know, there's it's a very, very, there is a very steep slope there when you start charting those things, in my opinion. And I think that you know that that can be some sometimes be you know does the writing serve the idea as well as it can to some extent, which I think is valid in some points. But as far as you know how how realistic the scenario, like you pointed, that's a different thing entirely. Right. With Ayn Rand, she was talking about ideas and sort of a big level that nobody had ever really talked about in that way. And you know, lover or hater, it's you got to step back and say, well, you know, here's somebody who, who wrote a book, you know, called The Virtue of Selfishness, and made a very, very interesting case for that and was the first person... At a time that nobody was talking that way. Yeah, I mean, not yeah, on a beyond an academic level, no. And somebody who really grasped the concept of self-interest as a motivator and how you should embrace self-interest as a motivator. And, you know, you talk about the problem, like the book, on, you know, the Mars series, where, you know, that's we, we're still very uncomfortable with acknowledging that self-interest is our primary motivator. How you define self-interest, self can extend to friends and family and values and all that, which is sort of a bigger concept. But... Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, you know, anybody I talk to who has an interest in these sort of things, you know, I think you absolutely should read these. You should, you know, you should read, you know, if you can, other, you know, totally opposite sort of things to sort of get a grasp of that, you know. That's yeah, by the way, I, on the flip side, yeah, because you, you know, I'll, I'll read Ayn Rand, mm-hmm. and then I'll also read uh, some of the some of the hippie commune stuff mm-hmm. from like a Robert A. Heinlein. Well, he went through. Well, I mean, that's he's stranger in a strange land and all that. But he was still a big property rights guy. Yeah, well, I'll tell yeah. you what. If if you know the stra- the cult and stranger in a strange land, or the commune rather, that's more of you your know, crazy if, sex cult. Well, no, yeah. but here's the thing: is like that actually delivered the goods. Yeah, you know? yeah. If, 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 if there was a community that actually delivered the goods, like where, where the it's one like, that one did, where it's like, I'd be totally down for yeah, it. Yeah, you know, it's it's it's, it's interesting, Brian, because you know the the Heinlein arc, politically speaking, pretty much went from nationalist, almost borderline fascist, to libertarian. Um, That's interesting. Well, and, and it seemed very communist in Stranger in a Strange Land. And by the way, if there is a cult where it's like bone-in hot chicks gave you mm-hmm. superpowers, then sign me up. I know. Yeah. And, all, and all the chicks got younger and hotter. <laughs> and you started levitating stuff. And yeah, heck yeah, yeah dude. That's got the best cult ever. Uh, yeah, no, please. I'm into that. Absolutely. So Brian's made some very good recommendations there. And I think that's stuff totally worth looking into. Um you know, as an old, as you know, having read them when I was younger and then going back and reading them, I understand some of the criticisms. But I'm like, this is a person putting very, very big ideas out there on the stage. And, so, what are you, you what know. are you reading? What do you recommend? Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a uh, uh, first a, uh, a TV ref- TV thing. Um, I've been re- I've been watching the Star Wars Clone Wars of all things. Um, you know, it took me for. Have you watched the Clone Wars, Brian? I've watched a couple of them, but uh, I, I have too much simmering, deep-seated rage against Darth Sellout's betrayal of George Lucas, and uh, it's very difficult for me to watch it with a with a clean eye. 
here's my opinion on that. Um, I know I should get past it, but but regardless, yeah, but it, I, it, I guess you're you're evaluating it on its own merit, and it's, it's well, good. You know, the, the thing is, like, when the first, when the movie came out, the Clone Wars movie came out, you know, everybody hated it. I mean, everybody I knew just really, really, everybody over 30 hated it. You know, it made no sense. I still don't know who the good guys and the bad guys are. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the, yeah, it's it's that. So the Clone Wars cartoon, you know, the movie that came out, that was, you know, the animated movie. People had a lot of trouble with that. And there was, you know, some issues with that. As the Clone Wars series developed, you know, George Lucas brought together a bunch of writers and started developing this. Everything we wanted Lucas to do with the trilogy, the prequel trilogy, you know, bring in other writers, bring in other directors, think these things through, is happening in the Clone Wars series, where I watched season one from the beginning into the end, and things got better and better and tighter and tighter. You know, it's not... It's not like, oh, my best favorite thing in the world, but I really enjoy it. I look forward to the episodes on there, and he does some really good plot lines and stories and the best Star Wars stories that you'll see since 1983. By the way, uh, that's how I feel about uh, the impending Star Wars uh, massively multiplayer online game. It's being done by BioWare, the folks who did Mm -hmm. Mass Effect, Mass Effect 2, Dragon Age, and uh, Knights of the Old Republic, if you played any of those. They are master storytellers, and they have done far better job of writing for the Star Wars universe with the Knights of the Old Republic series than uh, than anything else I've seen outside of the original trilogy. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that if you enjoy the Clone Wars, I think you'll enjoy that yeah. world as well. well. And I think there's never been a question that there is a wealth of incredibly talented writers and directors and people who think uh, on a fantastic conceptual and storytelling level that would stab their own mother in the face mm-hmm. To get their hands on a Star Wars story. <laughs> yeah, the problem you know. is, is like the novels. The novels, on average, are horrible. They're really poorly written. They're oh, I very... read so many of them. I actually have a very soft spot for those novels, where it's but... like they would they would spend pages and pages working around with these bizarre plot devices just to excuse the ridiculous dialogue in the uh, like. There was one like literally they spent four play- pages explaining how there was something bizarre in the space around Kessel that caused uh, that that causes the faster you go, the shorter the distance to be. All to justify the fact that Han Solo says that uh, the Millennium Falcon is the ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs, which is a unit of distance instead of time. Well, but there's a re- but you, do you know the actual George Lucas canon explanation of what that means? No. What does he say? Well, when you plot your hyperspace when you're going to go through, you have to avoid stars and things like that. Gravity and so wells, if you can yeah. if you can figure out the shortest distance from one point to the other by plotting how close you can come to other things. Yeah, I actually thought that that a lot of the extended universe uh the expanded universe novels were very good, especially anything done by Timothy Zahn. What are the Well, that's best the exception. Characters? I'm actually rereading I'm actually rereading Heir to the Empire right now. Did you um, did you read the two after that? No, I, I mean I read the three. I mean the original trilogy. But are you yeah. talking about the other other trilogies? Well, no, 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 no. He uh, Timothy Zahn came back and he did two more books. It's a, I guess a uh, what, what do you call it? a dual? Yeah, he does outbound. No, no, I know the other ones. Yeah, outbound and all that. Yeah, yeah. No, I no, 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 no. Outbound, outbound is is uh, is is um, Old Republic. This is this is two more. It takes place after. No, oh, I know, the, I know. I haven't the, read those. Yeah, trilogy. I'm aware of the other side. I haven't read them though. They're amazing. They're amazing. Yeah, I'm I look not going to say it's. I, oh, I I just want to tell you, but I won't. Okay. If you enjoyed cool. those three, you got to read the two after. Yeah, I, I right, can't so wait. Cl- Clone Wars, and then uh, do, you, do you have anything else, Andrew? Uh, that's it for right now. Timothy's on. Yeah, Timothy's on. Some All of his right. other stuff's very good as well. Yeah, I read some of his like his other sci-fi genre stuff was pretty good. You know, kind of like Bionic Commandos and stuff, which is pretty cool. What about you? Do you know how to read Justin? <laughs> oh my God! Well, it's it's really interesting uh, getting into these books, quote unquote. <laughs> uh, 
You know, I'll tell you what. I, I actually I, I don't read near as much sci-fi as, uh, as as Brian or Andrew do, but I did happen to very very recently enjoy a book that was recommended to me by both Andrew and uh, uh, Weird Things writer Matt Finley, which was a uh, Dan Simmons Hyperion, which uh, was was really 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 good. It kind of takes this uh, this Canterbury Tales approach to telling uh, you know the backstories of six travelers to uh, and you know they have this. Big pilgrimage, which I don't really want to spoil, uh, but fantastically written. Hyperion. Dan Simmons, yeah, Dan Simmons is the author. I, I, I don't read physical pages, uh, so it is on audiobook, available on. Which, uh, by the way, know. it'll be really interesting to me uh, whether or not audiobooks lose its stink anytime soon. Because I'm tired of yeah. of anytime I say, "Oh, I'm reading blank," and it's like, "Well, yeah, it's on audiobook," and, and then and then you get this moment, where people go, "Oh, oh, so you're not you're not reading it." Yeah, no, I I usually I just say that oh I read and I do air quotes uh, for uh, the the red term. And I'll say this: uh, I always say this. I honestly feel like for fiction, you get a superior experience if you have a good audiobook reader uh, than you would if you were actually just reading the page. Well, yeah, I, yeah. Sorry, Andrew. Go ahead. Well, I, I was. <laughs> um, uh, Yes, I agree. People have that sort of unnecessary contempt for it, but to heck with them. Second thing, and, and even though I, and thing, it's like, here's the thing. We're all guilty of it. Somebody else tells me they're reading, they go audiobook. I'll go, oh, meanwhile, I'll have five audiobooks on my iPod, you know? Right. Just, right. Um, but he, do you, when I read, I sometimes have narrator. <laughs> it's going to sound really bad. Um, <laughs> uh, when I read, um, like Brian, if I get an email from you, I hear it in your voice when I read it to myself. Oh sure, yeah. It's so like when I read books, I sometimes have in my head kind of there's like I choose a narrator that, that I hear in my head. Oh yeah, which, you pick from a library. I kind of do, which is sort of weird, I guess. So, <laughs> I just a discussion of the voices in my head. I'm just sort of yes, weary to sort go. of go into. Well, at least they're well practiced and enunciate yeah. correctly and bring uh, sufficient vocation. I'll tell you the words. thing: when I'm reading physical media, I can't help during certain passages when I'm too excited, my eyes betray me and they glance off to the side and they'll catch a word and I'll be like, Oh, I guess that's oh, no, going to no. happen. I don't want to go ahead. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Whereas uh, audiobook, it's like you're forced. You got to listen to every word and wait for it to come. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the one thing about Hyperion, uh, I very much do recommend the audiobook because it is very much more of a audio dramatization than it is necessarily just one guy reading. They have different readers for like the characters and everything. And especially for, uh, you know, I think for, for some of the stories uh, more so than others, it really, really, really comes through because I think one of the characters, he's, he's a poet, and uh, it's read in a very distinctive kind of style that's separate from uh, from everybody else. The other thing that I will say that was said to me by uh, by Andrew that I think made me enjoy the story more, if you plan on reading it, is um, enjoy the ride. Don't 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 Take be an there. avatar view of it. Well, no, no, no. Just don't be there for the big hook at the end because it's because a it's a series. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's not coming, but it's so not coming. <laughs> Imagine, you know, when you went to go watch Fellowship of the Rings and you had friends that knew nothing of the books and you, yes. and you get to the end. Like, well, this is really not the end. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's there's apparently much more. Uh, but yeah, just just don't be waiting for all the answers and, and enjoy kind of the, the journey. Because I know that if Andrew had not told me that and the story had gotten to where it or ended where it did, I would have just been just been furious. I would have been like Chris Farley in, the, yeah. in that sketch where they replace his coffee and he just <laughs> destroys the restaurant. <laughs> um, uh, I want to, so yeah, I want to just a side note. I want to touch back on for a second because the whole universe building thing. Um, 
One of the things I really love about the Clone Wars, by the way, if you check, the reason to check out the cartoon is the technical brilliance that is going into it. The quality of the the CG, you know, the 3D animation that's going into there, and you start looking at it, it's very, very much of it's very photorealistic, looks just as good as anything in the prequels. And Lucas has said he's going to be doing a live action series. This is sort of a indication of how ambitious I think he's going to be with that because he is trying to go, he wants to do a live action series and he wants to make it cinematic in level. And, wow. you know, as big as a story as the movies were, or, you know, as, as many places and exotic locations and all that. So if you watch the clone wars and you start looking around at the stuff and you go, wow, you know, this is not that far off. It's closer to being photorealistic and looking. I, I, movie I'll quality. tell you what, if he will bring it back to the Republic uh, or the empire versus the rebels, uh, if he'll put it back and do a Battlestar Galactica style reboot in the middle of that original trilogy that we know and love. Cause I'm just not, I'm just not into the, Oh, well the, 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 the storyline that the premise is supposed to be that the series is that they, they've said so far is that it'll take place after revenge of the Sith. Oh, it's, so it's going to be you know the the formation of it's the the birth of the rebellion and like the twenty years between then and Star Wars. Good, because so. I still don't know who the bad guys are in the new trilogy. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that's when you you watch Revenge of the Sith and you're like, well, yeah, great. This is uh, we kind of well, we kind of know who the bad guys are, but yeah. By and the I way, think, I, think... I do have one more recommendation since we are talking about Star Wars. I was I I I, I wonder if it's the one that I was. Oh, I'm about certain it is. If you have not listened to the hour long review of <laughs> the Phantom Menace, <laughs> it is uh, one of fantastic. the greatest. It is one and, of the... uh, Andrew gets the big the big 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 credit. Andrew actually called me right after watching it. And just said, and like, it, I'm sure your reaction, everybody listening will probably have the same reaction that first I had, I and had. then Brian had. Yeah, uh, where it's like, oh yeah, Doug, you know, of course, it's you know, it's a terrible movie, easy to rip on, but... but it's like, just, oh, an hour? An hour, really? Just, we're gonna just listen to the first 10 minutes. You'll get yeah. the joke in the first 10 minutes, and you know what? You could be done, and you pretty much got the bulk of the experience, but you won't stop there. Yeah, you, you will won't. keep going. Absolutely. That's why they call him Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> him and Jenny. <laughs> what, uh, is, what is wrong with your rolls. face? What's wrong, What's with, wrong your with your face? face? <laughs> Kill them. Kill them. All right, all right. I think we've sufficiently did you, devolved. Did you see his review of Star War, Star Trek, rather? <laughs> no, that's the that's the first contact one, right? No, he did. A, he did the new Star Trek. He did. He has that, but he actually has a very short, like three oh, minute. I'm, I'm going to have Trek. to go watch all of them, aren't I? Yeah. All right. Yeah. The, just watch that. The Star Trek, the new Star Trek review. It's it's very short and it's very hilarious. <laughs> uh, he gets the point across quite quite well. So we we've talked about that. Um, oh, side note. I'm gonna another little geeky reference, which uh, I bought a while ago, and Justin bought one of these too. And you can still find them if you're if you're a big Star Wars fan. I'm gonna take a little Star Wars note here. It's the Star Wars Vault. If you remember this, Brian, Mm-mm. basically what they came out with as I turn my head towards it is a it's a book that goes through the history of the Star Wars series. And each page, every other page, each page has some little thing you can pull out, whether it was a some letterhead from Lucasfilm from the 1970s or a bookmark or a decal or all of these paraphernalia that was created around the thing. They have like full glossy brochures that were used to pitch the show. So they're all reproductions of this stuff, but it's a great way to sort of go through the history of star Wars and start at the very early stage. You pull out like a, a little strip of paper. That's got a, uh, a sketch drawing for the Tauntaun running cycle 
or you know, you know, the thing that they handed out to uh, 20th Century Fox as far as what the concept illustrations are going to be. So it's got all these little pull-out things you can look at, posters and you know, like uh, Japanese posters for the movies, and it's just a fantastic little thing if you're a Star Wars nut to just go through this and look at all this sort of paraphernalia. Wow. So. Yeah, very cool stuff. Pick it up. So, uh, side note, um, as we speak. Avatar has passed. Oh, I knew you passed. were going to say Avatar. What's funny is you said that, and I was like, I wonder if we should mention that uh, Avatar is about to cross a big uh, big milestone. And yes, then, we and should. Enjoy- it's ESP, telepathy. Proof. It's absolutely true. Million it's dollars. True. Hear that, so, Randy? Number one, and again, well, historically, listen, let's not get in historic, okay? Right now, number one top-grossing film of all time, and it's only been out five weeks, okay? So, there, is Avatar. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, Plus, that's, oh, but it does tie back. You know, he's the one who's talking about humans in space, not your yeah. robots, yeah. not your avatars, your real bodies. And the interesting thing about, you know, Avatar, based upon almost everything on it is based upon existing science. There's no faster than light speed travel. You know, the idea is that we found this planet orbiting, we found this moon orbiting a planet around the, uh, uh, and he doesn't bog you down Alpha by Centauri. making you beating you over the head with the science. Like, you know, well, hey, if you're the kind of person that needs to know, it's there. Well, yes. here's here's the problem is oh, I think we talked about this before. Is it like ain't it cool news? You know, they had their some science guy went into and he didn't know how much, you know, he just ah, oh, let's go look at this, not realizing Cameron knew more about science than he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Cameron is a very, very smart guy, and there's that level of detail if you get into it. The only the only thing that they have in there that we don't have uh, is they do have a form of faster than light communication, but the way that it's written in the uh, this you know the book that goes with it is that it's so expensive that it's something like a thousand dollars a a bit or a byte you know to transmit information. And I guess you know what there's there's uh, recent uh, what was it they 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 did like a quantum laser experiment where they were able to theoretically get a, get a a photon to. Uh, I, I, I'm not even going to try to do it correctly, but um, they were basically faster than light. They were able to transmit information faster than light, not, not an actual object, but information. We haven't done information faster than light. You can do a wave function faster than light. Yeah, but but okay. it's like, but, but theoretically, you could encode information no, into that no, wave function. No, no, let me. The best way to understand that is, um, we should probably really save this for another episode. No, I mean the best way to understand it is if you throw a pebble into a pond, okay. And you look at the the radiating outwards, okay, the wave radiating outwards. If you measure the distance from one end to the other end, it can be moving faster than the speed of light, okay? I see. But that's because you're combining, you know, but one, it's if you measure it from the center, they're both moving 0.9 C. Right. You know, and you add that together, like, oh, it's all going almost twice the speed of light. So you can right. have a wave. And you get, like, relativistic stickiness there yeah you know it's like if i have a spotlight okay if we had a spotlight and i you know we're you know i aim it at you know uh you know one spot and then i quickly turn it to another spot the beam looks like you know the the the, where it hits looks like it traveled faster than the speed of light but the photons didn't it's just i kept laying down you know a a steady stream of from painted from one point to the other but it's different photons it's not the same thing if you tried to to poke a stick and run the stick the stick would bend in a relativistic way so 
it's it's frustrating because you know it's like every time you see that headline you want to be like yes and then it's like it's the same thing that gets over and over again and the same people on dig get all excited and you know oh we've done it now i'm like well, no no it's a wave function thing it's not the same thing this is but was it was there talk and I, i'm trying not to keep digging this hole but but, but like like hmm. quantum entanglements and uh I, I, we'll talk about it another time yeah you can do quantum entanglement again the information you just can't as far as we and again i know physics as we know it's can be overturned, but everything, all these experiments and all this stuff is based upon one model as we see it. And, you know, if these things are going to be changed, we're going to be talking of new models and using different terminology, et cetera. So I'm hopeful, but, you know. But realistic. We'll see. Unless it's all a fabricated universe. That's right. So Now, at this point, I'm hoping it is, just so we can have photons and lasers. Well, that's, I always figured if I was ever going to write like science fiction in the future, and like I swear to you, this is the biggest stumbling block I have is one, I couldn't do time travel stories. Two, I would have trouble with fast and the light communications or travel. And so I'm thinking, like, if I ever wrote stuff, what I'm going to have in my head, I'm not going to tell anybody, it's actually a matrix universe. <laughs> and that would <laughs> forgive everything. Yeah. You know, and like that would be the way I'd be able to deal with it. <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to Weird Things, the podcast. We uh, very, very much value the contributions you make, and we appreciate your attention, and we hope to be talking to you soon about something weird. Like lightsaber boners. <laughs> <laughs>